It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to yet another special episode of the Movies You Should Love podcast. I'm Lauren, and I am here with... Scott. Indeed, apparently things clinking behind him. Um, Anyhow, uh, this is a special episode. We are talking about Ridley Scott's sci-fi epic Prometheus, which is recently, you know, assuming you're listening to this in a relatively decent time frame, uh, in theaters. And, and uh, yeah. And if this was a film, this would be the part that I would say, and introducing, because making her podcast debut is my partner in crime, Kelly Fogg. Hi. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is not my first podcast. This is my just first podcast with you. What? Yeah, you I'm not podcasted a, with other people? Yeah, I'm not a podcast virgin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> podcast. We'll come back to you later. We have some things to work out. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyhow, so, yes, this is a very special episode. Um, we would like you to talk to us about it as you listen to it or after you listen to it. Uh, let us know what you think on Facebook, facebook.com slash movies you should on Twitter, Movies You Should, or on our website, MoviesYouShouldLove.com. So, uh, so yeah, Prometheus. Scott, you guys just got done seeing this. I saw it, what, last Wednesday or Thursday, something like that, and then you saw it over the weekend here. Yeah, uh, we had wanted, I wanted to see it basically opening night, but um, house payment being what it is, we had to kind of bump it a week, and we went and saw it last night. We saw it in 3D on your um, suggestion, which coming from you i felt like we really should take advantage of the 3d on the big screen because um we've had extensive conversations about this on the podcast where 3d it's kind of a take it or leave it kind of a thing and we kind of try to pick and choose which ones we go to but i absolutely agree with what you said when you recommended it to me was that this is a movie to be seen in 3d yeah um i i want to go on the record here Uh, you know if you've listened to this podcast for a while you know i have pretty much never said about any movie that I wish I could see it in 3D. Um, This is the first movie that I have seen in 3D that has been not just worth it, but probably a better experience because of the 3D. Like, I think it's going to be a fantastically visually cool movie in 2D, and, you know, if that's what you have to see it with, go see it that way. But 3D is amazing, it works, and it doesn't get in the way of the storytelling of this film. So, highly recommend it, and my overall theory on 3D has now been shaken just a little bit, because <laughs> apparently Ridley Scott knows how to use the stuff. Yeah, yeah the goop comes out at you, <laughs> well, that, well, seeps uh, I'll, towards you. I was about to say the exact opposite, because I, th- I think that's why it worked, is the, the subtle use of 3D. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it brought you into this world, and it kind of... It sucks you in. It, yeah, it does kind of suck you in a little bit, because... <laughs> the goop does that. Hmm. Um, it's... It, you start off on an alien world and you're going to this new place, you're kind of having this new experience, and so everything is this kind of otherworldly feel and look to it. And so when you have the 3D, it feels even more foreign. Just a little bit, there's something just a little bit not right. You're seeing something just a little bit different. And I thought it was really, really effective. And it, to me, it also really added to kind of the spectacularness of it. Um, My goodness, like that opening sequence, like going over the river and over the mountains, mm-hmm. like, it was just like, I felt so good that I was seeing it in 3D in the theater. I was like, ah, we have chosen wisely. We are in good hands. Yeah, and and it wasn't used too much for just that, like, throwing stuff at you that so much 3D does. It was really used to enhance mm-hmm. the scene, to really enhance your sense of wonder at what these people were seeing, or fear, or, you know, whatever the emotion of the scene was. It was used, it was used as a storytelling device, not as an effect. 
Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. My my beef with digital photography in general is that people go, oh, I'll fix it in post. Uh, I can tweak this. I can fix the color. I can crop it, and it'll look better in post. But I say take a good picture the first time as a photographer. Take a good picture the first time, and that's you can only enhance it even more. Mm-hmm. Don't make up for your lack in post. And so I think they did that very well in this, is that they took a good picture. They made a good image the first time around, and the 3D just shows it off even better absolutely couldn't agree more it drives me nuts like they just like i wasn't super interested in this new gi joe movie that was coming out but they just announced that they're bumping it a year so they can 3d convert it in post and i was just like it just it, it, it not only does it not interest me it actually kind of repels me from the film even more because you can't add 3d in post it's that's just not the way the technology works and so when a master craftsman like ridley scott when uh, a James Cameron, a Peter Jackson says, or Martin Scorsese says, I'm shooting something in 3D, I'll go, okay. Let, you know, let me check this out. It's mm-hmm. We're in good hands here. You, yeah. you left off David Fincher. David Fincher, if you shoot, does he shoot something in 3D? I don't know. If, if he did, fantastic. if he did, I'd definitely. <laughs> I'd see David Fincher movie in 3D. Um, okay, but before we go uh, too much more into this super technical stuff, I thought we could, in this podcast, we could try to kind of cut it into two parts because what I would really like to do is encourage people to go see this movie in the theater if you can because it's the kind of movie that should be seen on a big screen. Absolutely. So for those of you who don't want to be spoiled, who want to kind of go in fresh, I thought this first part, we could kind of just kind of go around each of us, kind of give our thoughts, yay, nay, um, maybe, you know, maybe warnings if you kind of go, I didn't like this part, but it, it's still okay, or I didn't like it at all, or whatever your feelings are. Just a kind of a non-spoilery review of the movie. And then after we get done with that, um, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff in this movie. For those of you who have seen it, or for those of you who don't care to be spoiled, we can get into some really interesting analytical parts of this film um, that will, you know, completely spoil any kind of surprises that might take place, any of the twists and turns that take place. So um, let's do that. Let's kind of go around. Lauren, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so overall, uh, just as a general set, this is like exactly backwards of how we normally do our podcast. This is fantastic. It's, we're starting with the verdict <laughs> first. Um, it's, a, it's a yes for me, definitely. This movie is really really good in my opinion i loved i i especially loved the first half of it but then all of it really was really good for me um what i would say is that the whole alien franchise i'm okay with but it's not like my the you know it's it's not my favorite thing in the world and so this movie especially the first half of it didn't really exist in that world and for me, that was the strongest part of it. That said, it was really cool when stuff started referencing the other world to an extent, because then there were kind of like those little aha moments, which was kind of cool too. But to me, this movie was fantastic and made me really, really want Ridley Scott to go make like, well, Ender's Game or something like that. You know, right. like Ridley Scott's Ender's Game would probably be about like the best thing I could imagine ever seen in a theater. But <laughs> you know, or, or some Asimov or Heinlein or Frederick Pohl or you know somebody go go do like some sci-fi literature and make me the best movie ever. And I think it could be fantastic. So that's that's kind of my summation. Is like this is good, and I would love Ridley Scott to keep going in this direction for a long time. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be this world to do it. Kelly, this was kind of like you hadn't really experienced the alien 
franchise. Like a couple of weeks ago, we, we watched, watched we watched the first Alien movie because I found out you had never seen it, and I knew we were going to go see Prometheus eventually. I was like, well, let's at least watch this. So, what was what were your feelings or what was your experience with this movie? Can I just make a sound and go, eh? Sure. Yeah, that's as far as science fiction goes. If you're going to see one science fiction movie, don't choose this one. Um, it was it was okay. I felt like it just wasn't quite complete. Like it was a beautiful movie. It was beautifully done. I liked the references back to the aliens movies. I loved the ship. Um, I loved you know using what what was that Nordic kind of setting. Oh yeah, like the, kind of the Icelandic, the Icelandic kind of setting. It was it was beautifully done, um, and the special effects were really good. But I, I just didn't love it. Okay, I didn't love it. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is kind of this is kind of right up my alley. I, uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, this is something I think Kelly was going to talk about a little bit later, um, kind of comparing kind of literature science fiction to cinema science fiction. So many times they can be very different things. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like Ridley Scott kind of walks that line very well, where he can use big spectacle to kind of explore deeper themes and messages and ideas. And you saw it in Blade Runner, uh, saw it in the first Alien movie, but even more so in Prometheus, um, which is why I kind of loved it. And I would kind of recommend it to everybody. Um, that being said, what I would tell you to do is jettison any memory of the alien movies and don't approach this as an alien movie. Um, I think some people, because this seems to be a very divisive film, people either seem to love it or hate it. And my personal theory is a lot of people went into it expecting Alien Zero or Alien 5 or whatever. And it's really not that. In, near the end, you start to see there's some pretty strong parallels. And there's even some scene repetition from the first Alien uh, movie. Um, but if you go in just expecting nothing, just going in to experience a science fiction film, science fiction horror film, um, I think you'll enjoy it more than expecting an alien movie because it's really not an alien movie. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. It does. It is goopy, as Kelly said in the theater. Um, it is. You know, it, there is some very very rough sequences and scary moments and whatnot so go in knowing that but yeah i would overall, i would definitely say this is a hard r for people listening yeah. so as we talk about this keep in mind we are talking about an r-rated film that is yeah. this would not be a movie i would take the kids to <laughs> no I, I guess maybe you know what you're saying is kind of why i didn't like it i kind of felt it was a little bit predictable mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit predictable you know you you meet your characters you go oh that guy's gonna be the first guy to die. She did. She did do that. And, She's like, they're gonna die first. And and so I felt like there wasn't. You, you mentioned spoilers. I don't feel like there was really any like big surprises or big spoilers. I felt like it it paced along really at the same kind of like and this is gonna happen and mm-hmm. oh you've never watched sci fi movies you know you shouldn't walk in there don't touch that don't walk in there oh you died that was what that, <laughs> I, honestly I think that's the only thing that would make me like this movie more is if it removed itself even further from the Alien franchise because it did kind of feel like. We're doing a big, brainy science fiction concept in a alien formula, mm-hmm. like a horror formula. Like we kind of need these beats to take place because people expect that in an alien film. And so some of that does happen, but... Maybe I like it less because it's more horror and less, you know, it's, it's, it's on the horror end yeah. of the spectrum more than a mm-hmm. um, intellectual, cerebral, I mean, I mean, sci-fi kind of a it, thing. It's, I, almost wish the, I almost wish this movie was a little bit closer to Blade Runner 
where it's like you don't know where this is going because it just kind of unfolds at its own pace and then when it ends you're just like my goodness did we go on a journey just now <laughs> you know um that uh, means yeah like, uh, we're ending now yeah like, uh. Uh, yeah um but that being said i i mean i would still give it like a eight out of ten i still thoroughly enjoyed almost every minute of it um but there you know as i left there are a few things and i'll get into that into the once we get into more analytical there's a couple parts that i actually really didn't like um but anyway well let's let's jump there and uh as we do let me just kind of say i completely agree like i think that's why i like the first half better kelly is that the first half is much more sci-fi than the second half which goes much more into the I say horror, none of this movie is really scary. It goes much more into that. It's weird, because the first Alien to me was was really scary. This one never quite gets to that scary point. It's just more icky. It's, well, more, I, I, it's, it's almost more in the thriller genre. Yeah. But it, like... Well... well I'm, just, I'm just saying from like the general feeling, there's like this general feeling of dread, and just like... It's not thriller like Jurassic Park. I would consider more of a thriller than a horror. It just it has those horrifying images that you associate yeah. with a horror film. No, I just I didn't feel like the dread or the it was. I feel like it was kind of predictable, and that the dread wasn't played up enough. That it, mm. it marched along to the beat that Alien set. And I, you know, I'm not a big movie long history kind of person, but was Aliens the movie that kind of set that pace? Here's what here's what a sci-fi horror thriller looks like. Uh, a lot of people do really kind of credit Ridley yeah. Scott for creating this genre. And yeah. and so it seems like he stepped right in line with the genre instead of giving us a whole something, us something new, new. Something new and shocking. I, I, so, I would completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think if there was one criticism as an overall criticism for the movie that I would make is that while while I like a lot of the nods and stuff to the alien movies in it, I would have been just as happy if this was a whole new It's a whole um, new beast, just a like- whole new beast, a whole new I mean it could be a whole different universe. It doesn't have to be tied into alien. Mm-hmm. I understand like from a marketing standpoint why you might do that or from any mm-hmm. but to me it's like you could you could explore these same themes and create a whole new you know, if it's those whole new franchise, yeah, if James Cameron can do it with Avatar, you know, yeah. why can't Ridley Scott go start his you know third big sci-fi? And that's why we epic series because it, it shows us something we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. That's why we've loved it for the past 30, 40 years because it shows us something new, and this didn't really show us anything new. Yeah, the first half of it kind of did. I was going to say it didn't. The, once the first we, half, I mean, it set up some really new things. I think things that we haven't seen in cinema, yeah. things that me and you talk about, things that Laura and I talk about. Um, but as far as a movie goes, um, this new race of the engineers, we've never seen something like that before, I wouldn't say. Not that I'm familiar with. Not not it, as much in cinema. I think, you know, in literature, it's, I mean, well, uh, you, yeah, you so can go way back in literature with that. But. Yeah, that's what I mean, is in, in movies. Yeah. Okay, so um, it kind of sounds like if this is your kind of thing, we're generally kind of saying go see it. If you think you're going to like it, if you like Ridley Scott, if you like the Alien movies, if you like sci-fi. Um, but do know there are some parts in it that might leave you feeling a little bit lacking overall and, though yeah overall go see it yeah go see it i'd say that the the full price it was Would, it yeah. was worth the 3d yeah cool yeah. and and i want to say this uh we've hit a point like some people are about to turn this off or whatever if you are one of the people who did not like the movie which we know there's a lot of people out who mm-hmm. didn't dean trip I know where you live, son. <laughs> Anyhow, like, like, let us. <laughs> hey, whose side are you on? <laughs> Mine. Oh. <laughs> let us know though what you thought. Like, why? We we really want to know because it. 
I mean, it went from a meh for Kelly to like both Scott and I really liked it. But even Kelly's meh, I think, is a meh of I still kind of was okay with it overall. Um, and so we want to know like why it didn't work for you. So let us know on our website, Movies You Should Love, or Facebook, or Twitter, or wherever. Yeah, but yes. Yeah. Because, yeah, and that's why we're having this podcast now. That's why we really kind of jumped on doing this tonight, is so we could have this conversation while it's still in the theaters. Um, because, yeah, so anyway, uh, moving on to, let's get into this. This is a fascinating, fascinating film that was filled with imagery and ideas and all sorts of things, both related to the Alien franchise and new to the Alien franchise. Um, first off, I would say it really is an alien prequel in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I wish more prequels would take this route where it's, yes, technically it takes place before the story we all know, but it's not leaning directly into it. You know, it, it kind of explains some things, but it does it in kind of almost a tangential sort of way. It's not like, oh, and this is where Ripley was born. Isn't it interesting to see Ripley in elementary school? No. <laughs> you know, it's like, George Lucas, why didn't you do something like this for the the first Star Wars films or all these other prequels that seem to be kind of coming out? People think, you know, George Lucas recently said he wants to do a prequel to Red Tails, which doesn't make any sense. Well, because that movie was so good. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I can make a lot of bad jokes about what the, story, what, the, what the pitch to this could be. It's like, you know how they can finally fly planes now? We're going to go back in time when they couldn't even fly planes yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I mean... What bad taste is this? Yeah, definitely going with that Star Wars thing. You know, I, I would say the best Star Wars material that we have had since the original Star Wars movies is, like, the Knights of the Old Republic games. Right. Um, not the online role-playing one that's okay. currently up, but the, the previous Bioware games that, you know, they went back a couple thousand years before Star Wars and are telling really interesting stories in that universe. They fleshed out different concepts, like mm-hmm. the Jedi, the Force. They did these things in the same way that this movie starts to flesh out, like, what that spaceship was they discovered in the first Alien movie. We kind of start to see some of these things and maybe see the origin of that xenomorph, the which is the name that they kind of give that alien creature. It's never mentioned in any of the movies. Oh, the thing with the head? Yeah, the, the big black creature you see in the first Alien movie. I think in, like, if you read about it anywhere, they'll call it the Xenomorph. And it might actually technically, I think in Alien 4, it's on a computer screen, but nobody ever says it. Um, but you, you, it kind of gives you maybe a hint at where that creature came from. But it's not something that's directly tied into this tight chronology of the, the previous four Alien movies. Yeah, I was I was excited to see the ship. I was like, oh, there's a ship. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it was cool <laughs> to, to see. To see a fly is cool. And honestly, one of my favorite scenes, um, well, David was like my favorite character. Oh, David Michael was Fassbender. amazing. <laughs> Michael Fassbender strikes again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, just phenomenal character. Just like all of his scenes, his writing was so just just top notch. And the scenes where he goes into the, the ship to explore by himself, and when he kind of um, the the use of those holograms to kind of show like these kind of faded memories that were kind of captured by the ship of the the engineers we used to, we knew them as the space jockeys before this um, seeing that and then he discovers the room and he sees how they have seen they've already mapped this entire universe and how they already they're going they're headed to Earth that sequence was so just so neat just so chilling and cool and just like i want to see more and how he figures out how to run the ship and all of that i thought was really really neat yeah no i thought he was he was a fascinating character because i thought so much of the movie revolved around his character decisions which is a really fascinating thing because the people in the movie 
just thought of him as a robot Mm -hmm. and therefore someone incapable really of making decisions on his own. Mm -hmm. And yet he drove so much of what was going on in this film. You know, he really, he really was making decisions on his own and had his own feelings and everything. He he was, he really was man's creation, which is, you know, definitely kind of that next level of evolution, which is kind of one of the, the things in this movie. And I love that he is such a Ridley Scott robot. He is like, you can really imagine David fitting into Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It's like Ridley Scott really loves, loves this concept of this created thing that carries on the emotions and ideas of, of its creator, but maybe doesn't, maybe he doesn't have emotion. And so he's kind of always co- continually confounded by his creator and doesn't quite understand his creator. But yet he understands this, this, and this. He can see the, da- the data points and connect them and go, oh, well, you must be feeling this right now. Well, do you feel sad? I don't know what you mean. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. but he could give you, um, he could give you ideas of what would make you sad. But does he himself feel sad? Please explain. And the, that concept between, just that that exploration between the created and the creator, I think, is just fascinating. And I love that Ridley Scott has continued to use that in all of his, and you know, Blade Runner, Alien, and now mm-hmm. in this. Um, I, I love that as a. As a writer and as someone who believes he has been created, I really like that. And I love seeing that in mainstream entertainment. I I think there's a a dissonance in David and what these people are hoping to find. He was purposely created Mm -hmm. um, by the... By Peter Whelan. Yeah, Whelan. And I think this movie kind of brings out that maybe we weren't purposely created. Uh, Are are we in spoiler land? Yeah, we're in spoiler yeah. Yeah, because at the at the end the squid thing meets with the engineer right. and and really births something that is akin to the alien we see later. Right. And and so one could say that's an accident. It's a it's an act of self-defense by Shaw. Right. Uh, and and I wonder if humans in this world were created by accident right. by these these people who wanted earth for some other purpose, mm-hmm. some other darker purpose. Yeah. But David, the one supposedly without a soul, was the one that was created on purpose. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's very interesting because I think, I mean, if you look at Ridley Scott's work and his speaking and so forth, I mean, he he is someone who I think blames faith for a lot of things that goes bad in today's world. Mm-hmm. So I think I think this element of um, not being purposeful creations or kind of the process of evolution or something is a very integral theme to a lot of the things he discussed. I mean, he has lots of themes that he goes through through his movie, but I think this is definitely one of them um, that he deals with. And this movie especially, I mean, you have a whole conversation where David is talking uh, to Holloway and, I love and asks, why did the humans create me, you know, David, this, this robot? And they're like, because we could. And David says how disappointing it would be to hear that from your creator. Like, imagine if you went what if as humanity. humanity yeah. And that's basically the entire point of this movie is it's kind of a you know you search for your creator and it turns out not to be what all at all what you think it is mm-hmm. um take take that one step further and go what if not you know it'd be sad to say i'm created because someone could mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to say i'm an accident that's mm-hmm. even that that may be even more disconcerting right or like the, that relationship between the creator and the created it's like these engineers mm-hmm. maybe they created life Maybe they created humans specifically. Maybe that was an accident. 
maybe they were trying to create this biological weapon that we see in the goo or we see in the alien and humans are like oh and there's this thing i'll just put that over there while i continue working on this oh you're here i don't go away i'm working on this other thing you know it's like it's so interesting like it's it would be so like he said disappointing and frustrating and the character of shaw continues this kind of you know i thought was really interesting because um she she's a character who continually like her faith she's a character of faith we see that she has a cross she's in very early on we find out like her dad was a missionary and all these different things um and she at one point they go you still believe this but we, we've discovered who created us she's like well who created them <laughs> you know and she at the very end the very last thing she said she's like and i'm still searching for answers you know there's still this continual process until she finds the definitive answer which is actually interestingly enough something i've been recently kind of going through as i try to figure out my own kind of um i don't want to say belief structure because i kind of i have one but as you know as you as you read you know as you try to marry like what the scientific community is currently saying about the history of earth and then you look at what christianity says and you see what the other religions say it's like well okay ultimately one of these has to be right right <laughs> you know if we follow a timeline back in time if we go back two thousand years we can see something happening here we go back four thousand years we go back six thousand years we go back a million years something's going to be happening down this timeline what is it <laughs> you know how far back do you have to go to kind of discover this ultimate truth is it is it one or the other or is it really where i'm leaning right now is this uh this marriage of the, these two ideas i you know i I don't know if we have all the facts. I don't know if we have everything at our, you know, I think I, cause I can't discredit either group because both groups have done so much research and done so much. It's like, I can't honestly sit here and go, no, I think the Christians are right. 6,000 year old earth. We're done. We're good. What one could say, God doesn't draw straight lines. Right. <laughs> As was said in the movie. Um, but I'll, I also have a hard time going, no, there is no God. It's 6 billion years of chance and chaos and happenstance. And here we are. Isn't this amazing? Um, I think both, if you take both in their purest forms, they both are kind of beautiful ideas unto themselves. I'm not sure if we have that in its full fullness yet. And so this idea, this character of Shaw, I really connected with her. Um, her conversations, I almost, her and David to me, and I love that spoiler, they were the two that, you know, get off the planet. And if there's a second movie or more, it's going to follow those two characters because those were the two I wanted more of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, no, I would say this movie, the the driving theme beyond anything else is this concept of faith versus fact versus opinion, kind of. Yeah. You know, there's scientific, you know, fact. There's these faith-driven characters. And then there's kind of opinions that people can have aside from all of that you know someone may think this about faith even though they have it's it's you know kind of the, this du- or triality not duality whatever it would be some <laughs> word i may have just made up a word but um and i think i think that is going to be the driving thing that kind of decides whether you respond to this movie positively or negatively mm-hmm. um just from what i've kind of been seeing looking around um I think if you're looking for a scary horror sci-fi movie, this movie probably isn't quite that. But if you're someone who actually is in that searching or mm-hmm. you know trying to figure some of those things out, I think this movie plays directly into those philosophical sorts of questions. Yeah. And you're really going to respond to it. I, I completely agree. 
which I think is why both Scott and I have really <laughs> responded really, really well to this movie. Yeah, and because I, honestly, some of the people I see complaining, um, I think it's very much that. I, I don't think they wanted something so philosophical. They wanted something, like you, just like you just said, they wanted a scary thrill ride of a sci-fi movie. Um, Maybe that's my dissatisfaction with it as well. I like my movies to be entertaining. That's true. And I like my books to be philosophical. Yeah, that's something that we've often kind of combated on. We're, we're exact opposites when it comes to our literature versus our, our cinema. I like I like a drama that might completely wreck me emotionally. Um, like Up. <laughs> like Up. Like the first ten minutes will, of Up. Really will. I'm in a ball in the corner of the room. <laughs> Quite literally. It's new. You turn 30, you start crying at movies. <laughs> hey, you guys. It's no joke. It happens, guys. Um, but then when I, when I pick up a book, I read a lot of comic books. I read a lot of light literature because it's like that's my kind of almost complete escape. Where Kelly's the exact opposite. She's reading really thick, brainy books constantly. Whether it's a you know autobiography or it's right now reading a lot of parenting kind of books yeah. um and now you're also reading the game of thrones books which those are big and heavy in their own way, in their own way. they're not heavy on the kindle <laughs> well, that's true it's nice so anyway <laughs> um just lots of but, fake but dates yeah, and so names maybe that's, maybe that's my dissatisfaction of i i like the entertainment value mm. of a lot of sci-fi movies um you know, and, but they might not be the best movies. You know, they're right. not literature of movies. But I really like War the, of the Worlds. I, oh yeah. The AI, however bad it may be, is still a very intriguing concept. Until like the last three endings, the last twenty <laughs> minutes, it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> movie, and it's very intriguing for me. And I continue to think about it. Mm-hmm. Even I haven't seen it for years, and I still continue to think about it. And I Robot, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are not going to go. Well, those are great movies, but I enjoyed the entertainment mm-hmm. factor. Oh, of it. absolutely. And, and so this one was less entertaining, maybe less entertaining and more philosophical mm-hmm. for my philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> my taste yeah yeah i can i can agree with that because to me that was that was the parts that i really responded to was was the philosophy of it um and watching these characters wrestle you know with their own humanity or robotness or whatever you know (laughs) right (laughs) i don't know what that would be yeah you know but (laughs) yeah um (laughs) but no that's 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 kind of the stuff that I really responded to, and so the rest of it, where they're you know running away from goo or you know oh, all that kind of stuff, like like that's interesting, and I liked some of the spectacle of it, but at the same time, you know, so which also brings me to my biggest issue with this movie, which I have to touch on, Let's do it. is there is no way that a woman could be running around like that stapled together after a c-section she's had a rough day she's had a rough day like that is that is borderline impossible well i just want to say does anyone in movies will they ever learn to just run sideways right you know okay, run that's, that's sideways the other thing. from the giant rolling ball there's all this run sideways this is an entire planet to your left and right yeah. <laughs> you're gonna say this one um, she's not like they're stuck in a canyon or something elephant thing she doesn't escape it until she falls and rolls out of the way like she only rolls like four times like four rolling body legs and then she's safe. You know. So, the thing we learn yeah. from this is roll sideways or oh, run absolutely. sideways. Just Don't... cut a quick 90 degree turn yeah. you'll be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, the part that I honestly didn't like, the two characters were the two characters who died first. Kelly pointed them out and I didn't, like, I liked them. We weren't them. meant to like them. They're I liked them to a point. 
like I like I heard some people complaining about like oh here are these like expert botanists or whatever geologists and they're freaking out on a planet you know I'm like well yeah I'm okay with I was okay with them freaking out I was okay you know because to me I felt like they're on a strange planet they might not have ever left Earth even in this sci-fi world um, and now they're on a, a planet that may be the home of their creators and there's these dead things around them, I can see them wigging out. I have no problem with that. But the part I kind of had a problem with is when they're hanging out and the one guy apparently has, like, pot in his space suit for some dumb reason. Like, <laughs> we're going to have this joke here where this guy is toking inside his suit. Like, all right. And then a weird alien cobra comes out and the guy's like, hey, little guy, come here, buddy. I'm like, no, you wouldn't do that on Earth if you saw a strange animal, unless it was like a dog or a cat. Even if you were high as a kite, you probably would not do that on right. Earth. You're like, hey, buddy, I'm going to kind of pet you now. I'm like, no, this is the dumbest thing I've ever, you know. I'm like, they've never seen a sci-fi movie or a horror movie, I'm telling you. And apparently they've never seen just a wild animal. You know, it's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm reluctant to do that to my neighbor's dog. You know, it's like, I don't know this dog. He might bite me. And here's a creature that just came out of this black goo. And quite frankly, it looks scary as all get right. I'm like, it's, it's slimy. Don't touch that. Right. You know, it's not like Gizmo and Gremlins where you're like, oh, this could be friendly. I'll mm-hmm. feed it. It's not even like that cute little dinosaur in Jurassic Park before it goes like, yeah, exactly. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, that you know, other thing. Yeah, I could have told for, you to avoid that dinosaur too. Yeah. This thing was built for death. It looks like death. <laughs> it looks like a snake. Run away. Oh, look, you're dead. Good. look it's going down your throat serves you right uh, stupid uh, yeah um that being said when it melts the guy's mask i kind of went gah like just Mm -hmm. seeing like the like the the mask just kind of like implodes from the Mm -hmm. acidy blood and it just looked a little too real and i was just like like, there's a couple moments like like that and when she does the uh impromptu c-section um I was like (laughs) it's like there's like those moments and i how did you like as a as a you didn't seem to be squirming I was squirming in that scene. Oh. <laughs> when she was in the, the thing and it's like cutting her open and she's You may not know this, but women are like made of tough stuff. Women can go through a hell of a lot before they give up. Men are babies. I didn't know sugar and spice was tough stuff. <laughs> spice. Spice is, oh, can be spicy. Okay. Some people headaches, for instance. No, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> some people, you know, they're kryptonite, they're cinnamon. Oh, I get it. <laughs> That's kryptonite, it's kryptonite. <laughs> Well, obviously, it would be kryptonite. Um, that being said, I did kind of. There was a. I kind of got a, a little bit of a a slight chuckle out of the fact, like I kind of had. I've always kind of believed that Ridley Scott is basically a feminist, kind of yes. you know, the same camp as like as Joss Whedon, as somebody who just creates these really strong characters. You look at Ridley or Ripley in the first Alien movie, which coincidentally, which is interesting, was written to be a man. Uh, Sigourney Weaver's character mm. was a male part and he liked her audition and was like well we'll give you this part you'll be this in, character in Alien in the fir- yeah okay. in the first Alien movie she wasn't going to be a woman but he liked her and gave her that part and it's a fantastic character and then you see G.I. Jane you see Thelma and Louise and then you see this and I thought it was really interesting because you're following the Shaw character and it, I almost felt like there was a moment and it's going into this C-section moment where it's like it's hard to be a woman in the man's world where she goes up to that machine <laughs> and she's like, I need a C-section. She, he's like, I'm sorry, this machine was built for a man. <laughs> and she's like, ah. Because it was built for the old guy, Wayland. I know, but I'm like, so what hospital in the future is like, we'll design things for men. Only. <laughs> men only. It's like that new Dr. Pepper. Right. You don't get this. And so she has to trick the machine into performing this procedure, which was cool. But I just kind of had this funny little, like, it's just this funny moment. Like, this machine, as advanced as it is, 
is not programmed to perform a C-section, or doesn't know what a C-section is, though it essentially does do that for her. Um, it's just so, this funny yeah, <laughs> so, If she was having infertility problems before, she definitely is now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, weird side note to that. Mm-hmm. Still, as disturbing as that whole sequence was, standard hypodermic needles still will get me more than, like, that entire C-section. So you're totally cool with that until she takes the needle out and stabs herself. But yeah. You're like, get <laughs> out of my like, get rid of... You're not taking those drugs. Stop Take it. Take a Motrin. It's okay. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was. I thought it was really well done. I was like, oh, look at them splitting the skin apart. That's really cool. Look at the staples. Look it was. It was them. really cool. It was it's really so, well done. The staples just seem so like. Now we have a staple gun. I was like, God. Yeah. See, women are made of tough stuff. I think. I think she could have gone through that, and then the hardest part would have been getting the stupid suit back on. Because you know, after you have a baby, it's hard to get back into your clothes. Yeah, well, see, I, I, I kind of, I kind of forgave the running from the ship part because I did feel like you do what you have to do. Adrenaline kicks in at some point, and you just do it. Well, that, and also there was a certain amount of like, this is a movie. We do need to keep this going, um, and so I did th- feel like Ridley did kind of do as much as he could to show that she was still in pain. It, yeah. she zipped that suit up. It was like, oh, it, it hurt, and she even moved kind of slowly. But then there's certain parts where. You're, Right now, you don't get to move slowly, and so I, I forget. Some people have complained about that. That's another thing I read, um, but I, I, I kind of forgave it because it's like he, he's paid enough kind of nods to go. Yeah, this hurts, but it's a movie also, and there's a lot of people who get shot in the arm, get shot in the leg, and they go Ugh, and keep on moving. <laughs> it's know? very true. No, I mean it, it didn't. It didn't stop the movie for me. It just kind of. But that moment, I did kind of. I did it think been it was less believable had it been a man. I did think it was <laughs> honestly though. Can you imagine like, if, like the man was like, "Wait a minute, where's the ceiling at?" <laughs> Give me a gun. I'm just gonna shoot myself. That's fine. Well, Not that's kind of that's kind of what dude did. He's like, "Burn me up." Yeah, you yeah. Know? Honestly, um, so yeah. But I did think it was kind of he really is a feminist. Kind of almost a dark comedy a little bit. How Charlize Theron dies because <laughs> they they spent so much time establishing that she was going to live. Mm-hmm. Like it's like get off the ship, and he's just okay. So she's running down the in hall. Her, into her she's pod. like she's trying to pull her clothes off so she can get into the pod, and she's getting into the spacesuit, and the thing ejects, and she goes flying, and then she gets run over mm-hmm. <laughs> off ca- off camera. <laughs> yeah, I think she's kind of a sad character, like a pretty three mm-hmm. D character if you think about it. For how little she was on the screen, she's a pretty three D character because she's especially way- in three D. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's Waylon's daughter, mm-hmm. and in the little intro video, Waylon goes, "This is like the son I never had." Mm-hmm. He's got this really high-powered daughter who's ready to run his company, who's going with his, you know, so what's, what's out into the who knows where. I hadn't thought about that. So what's really interesting here is the big question: Is it really his daughter, or is it actually is she a robot? There's nothing in there to suggest that she's a robot, yeah. other than the dude suggesting she's a robot. He, well, he asked her. He goes, "Are you a robot?" That's just that's pandered to the audience because the audience was thinking because our hair was so perfect. Honestly, I kind of I didn't think it was pandered to the audience as much as it was a in universe joke kind of a thing where it's like you're so you know just basically kind of basically calling her a cold hearted mm-hmm. b word. And he's kind of going, "So are you a robot then? You know, if you're not, you know, I'm hitting on you, you're not responding. You must be a robot." And she goes, oh, "Okay, I'll throw you a bone." No one can see your hand gesture. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Over my shoulder, as if to say, follow me this way. 
<laughs> he talks with his hands a lot. You miss a whole I lot. Do. Being on if only this were a video podcast, <laughs> then we'd have to shower first. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Um, okay, so kind of uh, let's talk about Prometheus. The, okay. So like the the mythology that inspired the movie, possibly, or informed this story. Oh, Kelly's yawning. That can't be a good sign. <laughs> We've left the entertainment portion of the podcast. You might fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's ten o'clock. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, uh, do you, do you know the uh, the myth, Scott, or do you want me to just kind of go through it here real quick? Well, it's, it's it's kind of a, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong. It, it's an old Greek myth, basically, in which the Titan Prometheus decides to give humans fire. And through fire, which is both a wonderful gift and also um, a very destructive force, um, he basically advances human technology and life and all of these things, and it basically and saves them from extinction. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, God, yeah, he actually he actually created humanity, like he formed them as well. Okay, and so but then the Zeus or the like are so angry they tie him to a boulder in which his liver is eaten out every single day and then magically his liver is regrown every single day and then eaten every single day by a eagle eagle aren't his eyes eaten as well i think so possibly i think his eye because i think it's symbolic that it's his eyes and his liver i heard i've recently heard that it was his eyes and his liver that were eaten out <laughs> well anyhow point being i think that um there's an interesting theory that is running rampant upon the interwebs uh, we'll link to in our show notes on our website um, that this whole movie is basically about people who are giving life like sacrificing for the sake of the life that they are creating Mm. Um, and so Prometheus is kind of the quintessential image of that Um, but you have that kind of through history I mean you have you know all that in Christianity and you know all, all the major world religions, but and, and it is stated in this movie sometimes to create you have to destroy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you see this same thing several places in the movie, and from the very opening scene, you have the engineer on whatever planet he's on, literally sacrificing his body to create DNA that goes into the world, and, new life. Yeah, yeah, that brings new new life. Um, let's see, you have uh, well, obviously the. Uh, the little alien baby c-section thing Mm -hmm. which i mean literally she gets her abdomen cut open which is exactly like a similar procedure to what was going on to prometheus i mean it's a very similar Mm -hmm. symbology of that um uh, uh, there's uh, i don't remember all of them i could read through this article and find them i'm not going to really do that right now it continues on with the whole alien franchise just every single time an alien a xenomorph is born someone has to die it's not it's not necessarily a just you know because you do have the eggs you have the face hugger but that's just like this larval state that it then implants itself it plants a new egg i guess or a new life inside the person it takes the characteristics of that thing it's been implanted into and then a new life bursts out usually very violently killing the host is a is a female always involved in that process what do you mean like in the in the aliens movies are is a female always a female human or a female Ridley, uh, it's, it's Ripley, dog later and- Sigourney Weaver is in all the movies um, there is a, in Aliens the second movie 
um, we discover there is a queen on the planet that is laying all of these eggs. Mm -hmm. But then those little facehugger things that come out and attach, they can attach to really any living creature. Mm -hmm. You you know, and so you see it on... Just curious, in the symbology Mm -hmm. of the movies, is a female always involved in the creation? In that there was a queen? Yes. I guess... Yeah, because I think... Because in the first movie... The chestburster comes out of a dude. Of it comes out Hart. of a dude, but like it's Sigourney. Isn't it Sigourney Weaver's fault that that thing is in him? No, not at all. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, she's. Just, I mean, no. I mean, it's his dumb fault for peering in, again. Stupid sci-fi people acting stupid, like stupid sci-fi people peering into the weird thing as it opens, mm-hmm. and then it jumps out and latches onto his helmet. Yeah. Don't make that that's the <laughs> hand thing. Towards my head. Very scary. Don't don't. Uh, I wish I was in a different city. Um, so no, but like Sigourney Weaver. But what is interesting is that in Alien Three, Sigourney is implanted. We discover, and then we have, there's an alien growing in her, and that propels a whole new storyline mm-hmm. um, because she's been implanted with a new queen, and so she's carrying this life in her. Um, and so there isn't necessarily a strict male-female thing because the facehuggers seem to be... Oh, I can never pronounce the word right. Adro- Androgynous? Androgynous. That word. Because they, you know, I mean, they, they seem, you know, they both have a very female, you know, physiology when they when you first see them open up, but then also they're, they're very phallic with the way that they kind of attack a person and implant this thing inside them. And so then you just become like this host to mm-hmm. this parasite that's growing in you. It can be male, female. It doesn't really matter. You're going to die mm-hmm. when this thing comes out. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah, let's get back right. to the original article that we're going to link to in our show notes. Um, basically, sure. kind of an up, <laughs> kind of the upshot of all of this is that the this actually goes with the goo. I mean, there's more to it on this website, but the goo concept, because a lot of people are kind of wondering what the goo is. Is it the same goo that the, the engineer drank on the... Yes. Black, like, that's the metallic looking... Yeah. yeah. Like but black. assuming that it's all the same goo, mm-hmm. kind of the concept is that this goo responds to people's um, reasons for doing things, like why a character would be performing an action. So when the engineer drinks it on the planet, he's doing it kind of self-sacrificially uh, in a way to create new life. And so the goo responds to his self-sacrifice. He does die in this process, mm-hmm. but, but since the goo is born out of it. Right. Um, whereas when you get to the new planet, they show up and, um, you know, is it Shaw who says, like, we've changed the atmosphere or the atmosphere is changing in here or something? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, there's kind of a moment there. You start seeing the little worms crawling and stuff. Like, right. there's kind of this moment where people with intelligence have entered the room. With, and good, they have, with good intentions. With good intentions, but their intentions are self-serving and they are willing to go as far as it takes to go to find their own reasons and things. Their their reasoning has changed. It's not self-sacrificial. It's always said that even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the reason they're creating life is selfish at this point. And so the goo kind of responds to that. And, and so I don't know, that's kind of the point of it. And, and so the, it's kind of brought on to the people by themselves for having their own reasons for showing up for doing things. And that's even potentially going to why the engineer at the end wants to go and take his payload to earth or whatever and kill everybody is because he realizes 
some of this stuff. Anyhow, this, this is a theory that's going around. I have no idea if it's what Ridley Scott intended. There is some interesting quotes that Ridley has made about like why the engineers do stuff, like relating it to Christ and some of that kind of stuff. So, worth a read. Interesting. I don't know. It's I'm, a theory. I'm kind of curious why the engineer was so pissed off when he woke up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not real nice when I get up in the morning either, <laughs> but... He was he was not happy to be woken up at that mm-hmm. time and really went on a rampage. Oh, and he killed everybody. Yeah, went on a rampage and mm-hmm. and then was like, okay, I'm leaving now. You're in my ship. Get out. I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then goes on this rampage and then continues to hunt people down when he, mm-hmm. once they you know blow the ship. There's, the ship. There's an interview that Ridley did, and this is neither here nor there to maybe what actually is the true intent of the movie. But in his interview that he did, he basically says that. Jesus was an emissary of the engineers that came to Earth, and we killed him. And so that is when they got mad at humanity and were preparing to come destroy Earth when whatever happened on that planet happened and destroyed their their ship and stuff. So So they were waiting for us to come wake them up before they initiated that attack? No, I I get the impression that that some catastrophic something catastrophic think, event happened before they could the launch. Because like those those holograms that we saw of the pe- of them running, mm-hmm. they were running from something, and mm-hmm. then the thing closes and it kills the one, and mm-hmm. they all die in that hallway. Which something again kind going- of which again kind of fits in with that whole concept of like the goo responding differently to different motivations. Like before then, maybe they had peaceful motivations for using it, and so it existed for a different reason. I I don't know. Some of that is all tied together. Um. Because it, you know, the movie does say that it's been sitting there for about two thousand years, which would put it at about the time of Christ. So that's kind of a that's kind of a they, thing. They did comment that's two thousand years old. So that's something that, again, that was a separate interview he did, but he did bring it up and said that they didn't end up including it in the movie. Whether or not it's intended to be canon or not is very hard. There, to there are there's already a rumor of a thirty extra minutes that will be put into the. DVD and Blu-ray release. Oh, good. Yeah. Maybe that'll beef some stuff up. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, you look at uh, the, his past movies. Look at Kingdom of Heaven, where the Blu-ray and the DVD added an extra hour to that film, and it was phenomenal. And it's like I already liked that movie a lot. Like the theater, when we went saw it in the theater, really liked it. It's it's a wonderful movie with that extra hour, which sounds ludicrous, but it's just like you see that it just fleshes out so much. The story is so much more captivating the characters are all fleshed out so i'm very curious like there's already been images that have been leaked of scenes they shot that weren't in the film of like a second engineer on the waterfall mm-hmm. like there's a second guy there and he's kind of like in a cloak and you're like who's that guy <laughs> you know it's like what what's the story behind some of this stuff and i would be very curious to see some of that mm-hmm. so here's 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 kind of the last thing i'll say and then we can you know obviously if you guys have more stuff but scott this is actually just for you okay um so, in the 1970s episode of Doctor Who... I've heard this. Go called on. The, called the Demons, or Daemons, Demons, or however you want yeah. to pronounce it. An ancient mound is opened up, leading to an encounter with a gigantic being who proves to be an alien responsible for having guided mankind's development, and who now views mankind as a failed experiment that must be destroyed. Right, he meets the... Oh, MG. He meets the doctor's companion, mm-hmm. judges her, and goes... Yeah. Look at what humanity has become. Yeah. Ugh. 
So the engineers I hope Rose in the movie <laughs> are seen tootling on little flutes in exactly the same way that the second doctor does. Mm-hmm. And the third doctor had a companion whose name was Liz Shaw, which is the same name as yep. the protagonist of Prothesius. So, well, you I film think, people are nerds. Well, yeah, well, there, there's also like, he, you, like, I believe I read, or I, I heard on a podcast actually, it was Box Office Booze I was listening to. And um, they said that he uses the flute to... Um, work his technology as well like in the same way that david uses the flute to kind of wake up the ship apparently this guy does too it's very interesting and it i don't know it could be one of those things which just weird happenstance it could be you know ridley scott's british and might have grown up with doctor who and some of this stuff might have been lodged in the back of his brain and just kind of damon lindelof could be a huge doctor who fan and just put it into has to be he wrote lost yeah so and, and i think that's the other thing i will say if you're someone who got really annoyed at the ending of Lost, this movie might not be for you. Otherwise, if you liked the ending of Lost, you might like this movie. Uh, that might be the other thing. A friend of mine shared with me, there, apparently Damon Lindelof is interviewed on an episode of Kevin Smith's Spoiled show. Mm-hmm. I think it's on Hulu. Anyway, apparently him and Ridley Scott were talking, and um, because they had a script for this, and then they brought Damon Lindelof in to kind of rewrite it, because they weren't super happy with it, and he really wanted to explain more things and Ridley was like, no, no, make it vaguer, make it more vague, you know, do this, you know, kind of, you know, do this, do this, and Damon was like, you you know, um, they really tore me apart for doing this on Lost, you know, people were not happy when I did Lost, (laughs) and he's like, no, 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 he's like, no, I I don't want to be, you know, he didn't, it, it seems like Ridley Scott didn't want to be set in this very strict, like, capsule like i don't want to be in this thing that we're we're tied to the alien franchise we, i want to do our own thing yes we have to be attached to the alien franchise but i don't want this to be episode one going into you know mm-hmm. episode four which is alien one yeah um um i think the right. thing you haven't talked about is mm-hmm. the sexuality in the movie okay i think that's very interesting it's something i didn't notice but as we talked about it before we got started i definitely see it Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'd be something interesting to discuss in about in three minutes. In about three there, minutes. Okay. there is a lot of sexual imagery in all of the alien movies. Wow, nicely done. Hey, fifteen seconds. Yes, fifteen. Uh, um, it comes. A lot of it comes from H.R. Geiger, and it's really not a. It's not a secret. If you watch like the, if you get the Alien anthology box set, there's some fascinating and fantastic behind-the-scenes documentaries, and especially in the first Alien movie, they interview H.R. Geiger about his original Alien, that Xenomorph, his design for that, and he talks about how the head, you know. Is is clearly a phallic symbol, and inside that phallic symbol is another phallic symbol that comes out to kill people. And how people are implanted is through like a very phallic symbol. And there's lots of uses of very sexual imagery, even in the um, in the way people are attacked. You know, the way um, uh, I think his name is Ash, the, the robot in the first movie, the way he attacks Ripley. Ripley. I can't believe Ridley has a movie with Ripley in it. <laughs> um, the way he attacks her is in a, it, it, at first it's an attack, but then it kind of borderlines on a very um, rape-like um, scenario that is very disturbing. And and so it's it, it's something that reoccurs in all of the alien movies, and it comes back in this one in, in the way that the aliens attack, but even in a lot of the conversations... Uh, I thought were very interesting because they took it from just in the past they've used a lot of sexual imagery to disturb people and to try to 
get people to respond on this kind of primal, visceral level because it's something that even if you don't recognize, you subconsciously recognize. You kind of you know that it unnerves you. It unnerves you, and it's it's scary. Like you don't want that to be a bad thing. You don't want that to be violent. You don't want that to be something terrible. And here here you're being confronted with this imagery that you've often you've often associated with something that's beautiful or wonderful or lustful but exciting and now it's being twisted into this dark thing and which I thought was fascinating about this movie is that I kind of they took some of that and they kept it from the alien movies but then they also used some of it to have some interesting conversations like in the conversation between the the boyfriend and the girlfriend the Shaw and Holloway just kind of like oh you know anybody can create life you know it's just all you need is DNA and this you know it's like they, they take some of those things that are already kind of brewing in the back of your mind because of some of the imagery you've seen and then they bring it to the foreground by having a conversation but then the conversation does kind of unsettle you and it kind of brings you back into this kind of reality because she confesses that she can't create life she has some of the you know she has all of these things she recognizes all of these things and has them in her life but she is unlike the creator because she you know she cannot create life and it's i thought it was a really interesting way to use sexuality to explore again some of these bigger kind of philosophical mm-hmm. creation questions creation questions absolutely yeah what does that mean for a couple what does that mean for a person does that how does a person who again in the same way i mean it's, it's interesting because she's having problems she's having problems relating to a creator because she herself cannot create mm-hmm. david is having issues <laughs> you know uh, related to his creator because he does not have human emotion. Um, but one might argue David creates new life. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of... With, with Holloway, Holloway and Shaw. Yeah, you know, together. he, he kind of goes, I can do this. You and, know? Well, that's why he doesn't want to abort it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. It's it's really... It's, it, it's a fascinating film that works on a lot of different kind of levels. Um, how did you how did you kind of relate to that? I mean, as a, as a woman... Um, some of that imagery or some of those feelings or even just relating to Shaw as a female character? I, I think she's a really good female character. She's simultaneously vulnerable but really strong, so I can appreciate that. And, and you see that with Sigourney Weaver's character in the earlier movies. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting, again, an interesting parallel, not parallel, um, dissonance, again, uh, between... Uh, a, a movie maker who consistently makes strong female characters, but who also consistently uses this sexuality and this kind of rape montage to scare people, to scare those strong female characters, to to kind of horrify the audience. I think it's an interesting kind of contrast. Uh, feminist studies would suggest that um, you know men are uncomfortable with strong women so they're going to use rape and sexual power to oppress them and continue to keep them in their place and all of that but i think it's an interesting it, it really horrifies us that kind of sexual how do you think that really victimization horrifies everybody yeah that's what i was about to ask is like how how do you how would you how would you think an audience would relate to that because there are some people like i the people who are behind the laura croft games love them or hate them the, the creators behind them have said that they have found people who play those games relate to Laura Croft differently and they actually, in, they don't feel like, like, when they play as Nathan Drake in Uncharted, they feel like they are Nathan Drake and they're going on this adventure, but when they're playing as Laura Croft they want to protect her. Well, and what's interesting is this 
for those keeping up with gaming culture these days, there's a new Lara Croft game coming out. Is it later this year or something like that? Later this year or early next year. Early next year. I'm not sure when the release... Anyhow, it doesn't matter when the release date is. Point is, they've been showing it at like E3 this year and some of the big gaming expos, and the trailer is online. And uh, they have... They are trying to make her character more relatable, more someone that you want to be protective of, somebody who's less, uh, you know, a, a giant a giant chest on screen. Is and that makes women more relatable? Is is easier to protect? Well, and what they have done is... I think so. Is the, might think so. Well, this goes into comic books, too, because it's super yeah. frustrating what they do to women in comic yeah. books. But the trailer basically puts her in a rapey situation, basically. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what it does, and it shows her, like, escaping from it. And it's supposed to put the player in the mindset of, like, wanting to be in the role of a protector rather than in the role of... An adventurer. or An adventurer or something. And so, like, there's all of this interesting debate now going on about her character, and specifically is is introducing these rape elements into the video game, like going too far is it a valid storytelling thing why is it valid or not is it you know since it's why do why do stories about women always have to go down that route why can't you go different ways with it it's just it's a there's this whole exploding online debate about that no one's going to argue that laura croft is the epitome of women's lives <laughs> with her short you know. shorts and well they've also redesigned the character she is no longer short shorts and, oh she's and finally like a, wearing pants and like a tank top and she's less curvy that she's supposed to be younger now mm-hmm. you know it's like she's she's never gone on an adventure before it's like batman begins mm-hmm. it's like we're going back and we're going to reboot this whole franchise because it went off the rails with the first game you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean no one can argue that she's like oh well, yay, Laura Croft. She right. is she is a, a marker of how far women have come in the world, um, right. and, and and people want that. But that she's not going to be that so long as as the things we do to her to make her relatable are. We want to make her more protectable. We want her to make her more. We want to make her softer. Those that's not going to increase her feminist chops. We could have a whole what podcast bit. about this very topic because it, it really kind of it, it really drives me nuts the way a lot of women end up being written and even the way people try to treat characters when they go we need to make this character more relatable actually you don't if you have a character who's unrelatable that's kind of fascinating and we'll watch that too you know, that's one of the reasons that we like Doctor Who it's like we like the Doctor we don't understand the way he thinks sometimes and we want to understand him and we want to we want to make him proud and we want to you know you want to go on these adventures but yet he kind of scares you and that's fascinating it's like just create a good character and I think in what? these movies we have a lot of interesting characters you know David's fascinating don't know if I'd want to be alone with him but I kind of want to talk to him some more you know yeah. but and, if and they make a sequel we'll be that's all that's going to happen is that uh mm-hmm. What's her name's going to be alone with him for an entire spaceship ride? But it'd be uh, awesome. But just his head, so it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Oh, I hope they reattach his head. She'll, they'll, they'll, they'll have to figure something. <laughs> those, out. those little tendrils of kind of creep you out. Flash are creepy. You won't like aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. It's all gooey. Uh, no, but uh, Shaw is a good Shaw. Mm. Shaw would be a good character. She's got her own education. She's got her own opinions. She's she's driving this as much as the the spouse mm-hmm. character. Uh, the the sexual that she does experience is a very respectful, very equal, 
very she's she's simultaneously vulnerable and strong. Well, it it, it, it feels very. I mean, real. she totally I mean, does a C-section on herself. Yeah, and then gets up and continues to right. <laughs> propel the movie. Absolutely, and there, I mean, because there are no, you're right. I can't add to that because th- that was one of the things going into the about halfway through the movie. I was a little sad because like the first Alien movie a lot of the scenes were improv and you can kind of tell because people are talking over each other the, the the dialogue doesn't seem super tight everything just seems very like oh these are just real guys hanging out and this movie felt much more calculated the, the every line is there for a reason even though you might not like the dialogue or whatever it's like this was all written and this is paced out and so when you understand that and you look at the character of shaw everything that's there is there kind of for a reason and when you see her it's like you have sexual scenes you have um, scenes where she's running around with no clothes on, but it's really, it's not there to titillate you. It's not. Exactly. It's, it, it's there because it. That's what would happen, and it makes sense, and it actually does. And it's not for a dumb reason. That sometimes I, uh, there, it, it's frustrating sometimes the things that people do with female characters. I'm going to touch on this, and I'm sorry, this is a bit of a tangent. There was a recent um, short Catwoman. Uh, Story? Story. Well, it was a short film, basically, attached to a Batman DVD. And in it, it's about how Catwoman tracks down this um, tra- this uh, human trafficking ring. And in the story, she follows this guy who's involved in this traffic ring, trafficking ring, and she follows him to a strip club. And since she's Catwoman, she decides the best way to get close to him is to get on stage and dance and start to take off her clothes mm. in the strip. You know, she doesn't get naked, but she does. She unzips her suit down to her navel. And and I, there was this uh, podcast that I listened to that reviews these things. And they go, yeah, that happens. But, you know, it makes sense within the story. It makes perfect sense. I'm like, OK, let's take Catwoman out of this story. Let's put Batman in this story. When he's following these guys, what is he going to do? Is he going to get up on stage and start stripping because that makes sense? Because no, he's going to batarang him. No, he's <laughs> yeah, he's going to wait outside. He's going to wait in the alley, like any respectable vigilante of the night would do. Wait for them to come out of the club, and then he's going to pounce on them. Mm-hmm. And it's like it really frustrates me in that in a situation like that where you, people go, but it makes sense in the story for this to happen because she's a woman. Clearly, she's going to start taking she's her clothes off. She's going to use her sexuality. She's going to use her sexuality. Of course she is. You know, No, that's just there to titillate. And they use, I mean, so in this movie, though, they actually, it does make sense that she doesn't have her clothes on because it's established in the movies when they're in the, when they're in those chambers, mm-hmm. everybody's just down to their briefs. Well, and, she had something on until she got into right. the surgery machine. And there's actually technically no nudity in this, but I mean, she has mm-hmm. very little on. She just has mm-hmm. just enough to cover herself. And I mean, they could have taken that opportunity to have her nipping through that Batman style. <laughs> <laughs> there were only nipples in Batman and Robin and we all hate them. Okay. Well, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Didn't Dean Tripp like that one though? Yeah, that's his favorite. Something's wrong with that guy. Hmm. I like that guy. <laughs> I hope he listens to this episode. <laughs> no, but you're right. But I mean, they, they really, there was never... A it was game. respectful. Everything was respectful. Everything, there wasn't these moments that were like, we're going to throw this in here because, hey, she's a girl. And, and we can. Guys like that, right? You know. No, it's, 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 to me, it was a very respectful movie that, I mean, it exists. Everything in it is on purpose. Whether or not you understand why it's there or not, I think there's a lot that is left up to us as the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that goes across the board to just about everything in this movie but at the same time Ridley Scott is a smart filmmaker who put the stuff in this movie on purpose mm-hmm. and I mean we've done 
what an hour and some odd minutes of podcasting on this and we've barely i think touched the surface of some of the things that people are going to be arguing about for the next 20 years about this movie and honestly that's what i'm looking forward to is rewatching this in a year or so when it comes out on dvd i'm going to rewatch it just like we rewatched blade runner and when you rewatch blade runner you catch things i'm pretty positive we're going to, i'm going to watch it a second time and go oh you know <laughs> even as i left the theater i was already kind of piecing together in my mind the story that does link this to the alien movies even though that might not be the part that i immediately latched on to because i love the the, the philosophy behind some of this but just like kind of going if that was that the first alien then that we saw in this movie so how does that alien get to the planet and what goes on because clearly the the, the spaceship that we see in the first alien movie is not in this movie at all just a similar ship with a similar creature was in it so how does that happen and then the alien starts laying eggs so i'm very curious about the evolution of some of these creatures they've started to introduce now and it's just it's a fun thing to do and what why was the engineer so angry you know is it kind of a is it kind of a cinematic sci-fi is it the sci-fi cinematic equivalent to the book of job where people approach where job approaches god and god goes i'm god you're job go away you know mm-hmm. and so or is the, it just that god turns out not to be what we imagined or you right. know so what we, is is it that vengeful <laughs> as anything else exactly we don't he went yeah. in there scared and he came out scared and that, that was what i thought was really fascinating was that once we get about halfway through the film we discover you're not on the engineer's home world you think we've come to shangri-la we've come to heaven mm-hmm. um, no this is a military installation <laughs> you know this is a a fort this is just i think that's a a huge leap of assumption like, yeah we don't we don't actually know what it is well they said that but it's like we I think the characters continue to make assumptions that scientists wouldn't make, and that's where I get a little frustrated with it. That's possible, but I mean, at the end of it, we do see Shaw leaving to go find her answers, you know. And she's, you know, and with the uh, with David, David saying, "I can show you how to pilot this thing. We can go, you know." And I'm assuming she's going off to find the engineers, you know, to, to their home planet. Yeah, she's going to their home planet. So even if this isn't a mili- military installation, it's at least a place where at least two of these spaceships are parked. It sounded mm-hmm. like there were lots more. There sounded like that's and that's why I said it's a military kind of a fort. It's a it's a it's a naval. It's an outpost of some sort. Yeah, it's some kind of outpost that they've kind of set up here, and so that's maybe it's a research place. Maybe they all went there so they could experiment with the black goo. Maybe they harvested the black goo there, and that's where they were kind of loading their ships up with it mm-hmm. because they were like, "What is this strange stuff? It's killing us." Now it's making mm-hmm. life. I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I will say about this movie. As we kind of wrap up here, as Kelly kind of goes, "Oh my goodness, can't we stop?" Um, no, <laughs> I did not but, know what I was getting into. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the the kind of the last thing. Oh no, I can't. Uh, the last thing I will say about this is that there's all of these questions, and a movie like this is the perfect place for them to exist because. At the end of the day, this is a movie about a group of, you know, what, 20 people or however many are on this spaceship that show up at this planet and they have no clue what the heck is going on. And at the end of the day, they make a lot of really bad assumptions, they make really bad choices, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. But at the same time, that is, aside from maybe the bad choices and bad ways of things going, which it still could even if they made the right choices, because there's stuff that they don't know about on this planet. At the end of the day, there's so much knowledge at this level that we can't possibly comprehend it that quickly. 
And so anybody showing up on this planet, even if they had started finding answers to questions, it just would have raised more questions and more questions. And so walking out of this movie with questions is not a bad place to be. It kind of puts you in in the seat of a scientist, kind of going, only it's, you know, sci-fi, so you're not really a scientist, so don't get all hoity-toity. But, <laughs> sci-fientist? <laughs> sci-fientist. I said but, it's a word now. Yeah. Scott thinks he can make up words. Um, speaking of questions, there was mm-hmm. one last little viral bit that we are we can now look forward to maybe a revelation that takes place, and we've already posted this on our website, which is um, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, what is happening on 10, 11, 12? It's only a couple of months. Maybe we'll find out soon. Yeah, and I've, I've kind of cobbled together some things that are already online. You can check it out on our website. Um, but yeah, at the, at the end of the movie, if you didn't sit through it, there was like a, just a, it wasn't a scene. It was just like this logo that said, the previous footage you've seen is owned by the Whaling Corporation. Um, Founded 10, 11, 12. Yeah, kind of like creating dreams or chasing dreams since 10, 11, 12. And like, mm-hmm. that's odd. That seems like it's very close to right now. And then you go online, and there's a there's Wayland has their own website, and you can follow the corporate timeline. And on ten eleven twelve, it says the corporation was founded. Um, so that that might be it. But it's weird that there are at least two websites now that are very official. You know, there's the Wayland yeah. There's Corp- one that's like what is ten eleven twelve? What is ten eleven twelve? And right now, there's like a book by Nietzsche that's kind of there. Um, mm-hmm. So spoke Zeth. Zarathustra. Yeah. Zarathustra? That one. Um, And um, And videos are online. Yeah, like there's been, since the movie came out, there are new viral videos coming out that kind of tie into some of the early viral video marketing campaign that now are referencing this 10, 11, 12 date. And so there's kind of a a whole new, a whole new campaign that seems to be kind of launching now that the movie is out. Which is fat, which I kind of love because I don't, everybody does viral marketing going into it. Like, what is this? What is this? And now watch the movie. And now, like Ridley Scott is like, we made a movie. And now there's more questions for you to chase. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like, that's kind of cool. Like he, I feel it makes me even feel like this movie was even more on purpose. The questions were implanted on purpose. And I'm really hoping that on 10, 11, 12, or as we approach 10, 11, 12, um, I'm, I'm hoping it's not just like, and the DVD's here, 10, 11, 12. Well, that'd be good timing for Christmas. Right, it would be. <laughs> but I mean, it's, I hope it's not just that. I hope it's not just like, eat more Ovaltine. <laughs> you know? <it's> yeah. Like, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Ralphie. Drink that. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, I hope it's not just something stupid like that. I really do hope that there is um, more Guy Pierce videos, more mm-hmm. uh, Michael Fassbender videos. Yeah. Yeah. Something good. Yeah. So don't disappoint us, Ridley. <laughs> um, and marketing team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, Prometheus, anything anybody else wants to say? Or are we kind of wrapped here? Been? I'm kind of spent. You spent? Mm-hmm. You don't want to talk about literature sci-fi versus cinema sci-fi? Nope. Later. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh-huh. she's planning a comeback, guys. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to take over. Y'all are disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> mine. I'm not gonna put my flag in it. A flag? <laughs> I have a flag. Oh, it's a routine backfired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. Uh, if you have your own thoughts or completely disagree with us or or hated the movie or something, uh, let us know. Moviesyoushouldlove.com, dot com, mm-hmm. Twitter uh, movies you should, or Facebook facebook.com slash movies you should, um, and we will. Uh, really, you like you can talk directly to us. It's not like it's, an automated recording or something. <laughs> it's it's us. Yeah, these so, guys are really real. 
really real and really nerdy and really attached to and they like to talk the internet you know and so it's like you 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 put it there we read it yep they read it i don't read it and respond i don't even listen to this no but i do talk about it later so she a lot and here's the thing too if you feel like you've heard a lot of these ideas before it's because i take the best ones from her because she's been going through the afi top 100 with me just the good ones and I, I'll take them and kind of spot them back at the podcast as if they were mine. Mm. Yeah. Men do that. Because women should be in the kitchen. I don't, you're lucky I let you into the living room to watch movies. Yeah, aren't you glad they can't see the hand gesture? Mm. It is a family podcast, sort of. Um, well, that's why women's feet are so small. God made them small so they can get closer to the stove. You know that? Inappropriate hand gestures. Wow. <laughs> And on that uh, nicely bigoted note, we shall. Uh, this is ours. <laughs> She's a feminist, and I live with her. It's <laughs> a good podcast. <laughs> oh no! We'll see you next time. <laughs> You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.